Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Prawn Sandwich podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Scoops Cupid. I'm at the wheel, tell me how good does it feel. Um, and welcome to episode 5. Um, I can't believe we've got 5 episodes in. I know it's only a small number, but I thought we'd have gone away by episode 3. <laughs> but no, we're doing well. We're, we're getting there and we're getting a, a couple of listeners here and there and people are interacting with us and there's a bit of a demand at the minute for more guests and who can come on the show and things like that, which is always good. We are looking for guests who support Manchester United, Liverpool, Newcastle. That's who I want to look at at the minute because I feel that there's them three clubs at the moment are a bit of a, an area that I want to target. Like Newcastle, what's going on with Steve Bruce and things like that. Like Are they comfortable with what's going on at the football club? Is everything like that going well? Liverpool... Are they actually good enough competition for Manchester City this year? I know they're still top, but they were top for the majority of the season last season and still ended up not winning the league. Um, Manchester United, is Solskjaer still the right man for the job? Are the wheels coming off? What's going on there? Who's If he does leave, who's going to take over and turn Manchester United around? Is it a, a job that's now a building job? It's not a big job anymore? what's going on with Manchester United so if you're a fan of any three of them clubs and you're interested in coming on the podcast then by all means let us know get in touch with us on Twitter that's um, Prawn Podcast with two capital P's Facebook get in touch with me personally on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that we'll get you on the show so then no guest this week just me and we've got five episodes in and I've kind of thought to myself we don't even know each other yet we've done four episodes and we don't know each other yet, so we'll. this is the episode where you can get to know me a little bit. And also what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a life story episode on my personal favourite types of footballers and things like that. So this is episode one of the life story episodes and things like that. So, me. Obviously, my name's Nathan Cupid, Nathan Scoops Cupid. Obviously, I'm the host of this podcast and hopefully it'll go somewhere. So my earliest footballing memory is... It's got to be a bit of a nostalgic one, a bit. It's a family one for me. Um, earliest football memory for me is literally just grabbing a football, going onto the backfield and kicking a ball about with my granddad Cosmo. And he, he's kind of like the a bit of a coach for me when I was a kid. Like he'd teach me how to strike a ball, pass a ball, he'd teach me how to read the game properly and things like that. He also taught me how to dive once. I think it was about eight. He was playing under tens football. And we were on the backfield for about three hours. And all it was was just run at me when I stick my foot out, fall over and grab your knee. And I did it once in an under-10s match and it didn't go down too well. But I'll, yeah, so he's, that's my earliest footballing memory. Favourite footballing memory for me has to be Stadium Malight, Sunderland versus Newcastle. 2-1 win and the winning goal by Fabio Barini. Absolute amazing moment. Like, you can't. I can't describe how good of a feeling that was to, to obviously beat them, but like the way it was, everything was kind of going right for us that day, and Altidore was amazing that day. I know Jamie Jackson and Dylan will start laughing at us for that for saying that Altidore was good that day, but he really was good that day. And the, the ball just fell to Barini, cuts inside, strikes it, and it goes in the top corner, and 
that's all she wrote. Good victory, and then the pints flew very well that that evening, and I can't really remember the rest of that evening. But yeah, that's it. That's my earliest footballing memory, and that's uh, my favourite footballing memory for you right there. So getting onto the name of the podcast, obviously the podcast is called the Prawn Sandwich Podcast, and obviously there'll be a lot of people that'll be thinking, well, what has a prawn sandwich got to do with football? But the Prawn Sandwich Brigade basically is for them famous quotes that Roy Keane did in an interview with Manchester United about people not being interested in watching the football they go to the football for prawn sandwiches and drink the champagne and the football comes second they're there just for the the entertainment they're not there for the for the football itself they just go for everything with it and uh, it, that's kind of like why it's a name like that Roy Keane's a personal favourite footballer of mine I really enjoy him when he was playing and I enjoy him now as a pundit and things like that He's just a really I like everything about him to be honest with you so it's like a little bit of a homage towards him but it's also trying to find a name that kind of took us away from the rest of your year footballing podcast names like the back post and in the mixer and things like that I'm not saying that they are podcasts I don't know if they are podcasts but they're the type of names that you would associate with football so we kind of just took ourselves away from that kind of group with like the generic kind of names and we were looking for a a small bit of a, a niche or whatever with the name and I discovered I've came across the famous Roy Keane interview where he said the prawn sandwich brigade and I thought well, well why not we'll call it the prawn sandwich podcast so that is why it's called the prawn sandwich podcast for everyone that was worrying about it and asking me about it so special mentions to the past four guests that we've had on the show episode one Greg Mossop absolutely diamond of a of a lad he's he was the first person to come onto the show and really step out of his comfort zone to come on and go yeah we'll get involved with it and let's get this thing going and it helped me out and that's what that's what he really needed to do just like the rest of the lads have tom lewis episode two done really well enjoyed that episode jamie jackson with his stats and going back and talking about football in the 90s in italy and things like that it's, it's another section that we're, we're going to get into we're going to come back and we're going to do a noughties Italian football when I can get in touch with Jay and sort out another date. Last week's episode with Dylan, another one, we're talking about Sunderland and the international break and things about England and everything like that. Spot on. Thank you very much to the four lads that have came on and done it. We'll get them back on. And it's also an opportunity for more people to come on and keep going with it. And who knows what will happen? The only way is up, really. We can keep going and just keep doing what we're doing. Also, another thing that separates us from different types of footballing podcasts is obviously the games that we play. Obviously, the scoops is play your caps right, which is which is a good one, which I like to do, to be honest with you. It doesn't always have to be England. We can always go down different countries, like Italy and France and Brazil, things like that. We can always go down them kinds of routes. Obviously, there's the 1-11 game, which is something that me and Dylan were doing 10 years ago at least by all means when we when we ask you to get involved and come onto the, the twitter and send us pictures of your 1-2-11s and things like that it is good I, I promise you you will enjoy it if you just get a piece of a pen and paper write it down when the tweet comes out and do your 11 of that subject and then listen to the podcast and then you compare and you talk about someone you have put in that we haven't put in then get on the twitter account let us know and say well hold on a minute you haven't put this player in because he was better than what you've put in and then that creates arguments and it creates opinions and that's basically what creates football that's what makes football better is opinion it's a game of opinion and everyone's entitled to one so by all means get involved the more people get involved the better it'll get i promise you 
but on the whole I feel as if it's going rather well we've I mean this is only the fifth episode so it can only get better all you can do is learn and we can adapt and change to suit everyone's needs and things like that but I also I do think that it has been rather good so far we've had four good episodes and hopefully yeah, people are like this one today the first of hopefully many life story episodes on certain footballers that I enjoy that's another one if you feel there's a footballer that we can do a life story episode on like a footballer that doesn't really get much of a shout then by all means get in touch I'll do my research and then I'll bang I'll fire it out onto the podcast whatever's easy listening for you and you want to listen to it then I'll do it the world's our oyster ladies and gentlemen and we can just keep going and make everything better for this podcast so then that's enough about me and that's enough about the podcast and its origins and where we'd like to go with it let's get on to the nitty-gritty stuff and let's go about episode one of Nathan Cupid's life stories or should I say Scoops's life stories Scoops's life stories is a lot better so then this player 534 appearances for 11 clubs 126 career goals he played mainly as a striker he could also play as a central attacking midfielder and he was also known in the early stage of his, his career that he could play out on a wing any guesses if not Here's a little snippet for you and here's a bit of a clue. That's right, it's the incomparable, the unforgettable, the completely brilliant Paolo Di Canio. Now, for me and people who know me, I absolutely worship the ground that Paolo Di Canio walks on. Absolute tremendous footballer. Not always the best with mentality and attitude towards the game and towards his fellow professionals, but my God, on his day, what a player, what a performer, tremendous football player. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into the life story of the one and only Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> The year is 1968 and the equals with Baby Comeback is your UK number one and born on the 9th of July of that year in a little town called Rome in Italy was born one Paolo Di Canio, one of four four children, brothers of Dino, Giuliano and Antonio, born in the main area of Rome which was largely crowded with Roma fans. Paolo, growing up as a child, supported the opposite side of Rome, and he was a Lazio fan. And he, in the end, he went on to play for them twice in the start of his career, and he also, towards the back end of his career, is where he 
applied his trade for Lazio. As a child, Paolo was suffering from a, a coke addiction. Well, not like the drug coke, a Coca-Cola addiction. He, he was rather fat as a child. He would eat everything and drink everything possible. That was bad for him. And um, he was also knock-kneed. And um, he had to wear orthopedic shoes as a child. And instead of going and seeking medical help, his father and his brothers would say, here's a football, let's go out and let's go out and kick a ball around for hours on end and that's exactly what he did he's quoted in saying I never went for any medical attention or any help what I did was I went out and I worked everything and I worked out and I played football just to be the person that I am now and when you see pictures of him he's quite a dish so very well done to Paulo for, for that indeed um, his hard work and dedication and focus on football and physical exercise and things like that and getting his appearance up and losing weight and removing all bad things from his diet everything worked out in the end and in 1985 he signed his very first professional contract for his beloved Lazio and in 1987 they uh, nearly got relegated from City B into C1 but the following season for the Aquil which in Italian translates into the Eagles they won promotion into Serie A and in October 1988, he made his first senior appearance for L'Aquil and went on to play 30 games in that season. The following season, the 1989-1990 season, seen him play a vital role in securing another year's football in Serie A for Lazio and avoiding relegation. And he scored the winning goal in the 1989 Rome derby, which, um, which gained him basically... Hero's status at the club before he'd even gone anywhere else. He, you score a goal in in a big derby like the Rome derby, and that's it. You are done. For, that you're done. That's it. And I've actually got a little bit of a snippet here for you of that game. And here's the commentary. Obviously, it'll be in Italian, so I do apologise. But here we are. Very passionate commentary indeed. The following season, his abilities and performances and goals and everything like that had earned him a big money move to La La Vecchia Signora, which is also translating to the old lady, or for all you football fans out there, the old lady nickname is of course Juventus. And although winning a UEFA Cup medal in 1993, he struggled to cement a place in the starting eleven. really, and he's struggling to get some football under his belt. And obviously when you've got players like Roberto Baggio, Salvatore Scalacci, Pierluigi Cajaraghi, Fabrizio Ravinelli, Gianluca Vialli, Andreas Moller, and of course a young Alessandro Del Piero coming through the ranks, he was always going to find it hard to get himself into that team. But he did play a vital role in certain games and obviously like you say he's won a UEFA Cup winners medal in 1993 with them so he done rather well but after a heated debate with the one and only Giovanni Trapattoni he left and he went on loan to Napoli for the 93 to 1994 season 
after not exactly a, a, a massive season for Napoli, the football club itself, but after some very good performances and some goals for Napoli, he uh, attracted the attention of one of the biggest clubs in Italian football and also world football, uh, the Rossonieri, AC Milan. They came in and took him, bought him from Juventus. And after two seasons with AC Milan and winning a Scudetto in 1996, Paolo once again found himself in a heated exchange with the manager, of course this time it being Mr Fabio Capello, over once again lack of playing time. He decided he, They both agreed that he should really leave the club, but once again we're looking at the list here, and there was only really four strikers at the time at AC Milan in the first team. Obviously you've got Paolo, and then you've got once again Roberto Baggio, Marco Simone, and the one and only George Weyer, and we'd like to get onto a, a football life story with George Weyer later on at some point, because hell of a footballer George Weyer was. So after agreeing with Mr Fabio Capella that he should leave the club and find football elsewhere and greener pastures, he decides to take up a completely new challenge. He doesn't decide to stay in Italy after more interest from a return to Lazio. I think AS Roma were interested in him as well, but he decided to go completely elsewhere, go somewhere else, and he decides to take up a new challenge, and he moves to Glasgow, and he signs for Celtic. Now, after somewhat of a successful season for Celtic, there wasn't a league winner's medal, but um, he decided to leave in 1997 after winning the Player of the Year for both the club and Scotland, and Scotland itself. And he went and joined Sheffield Wednesday for a fee of 4.2 million and became a very much a fan favourite at the football club with 14 goals in his first season. However, the following year, in the September of 1998, after an exchange with Martin Keown on the pitch, Paolo Di Canio was sent off for lashing out at Mr Keown and uh, once received his red card, he uh, pushed the match official Mr Paul Alcock over. And here's a little snippet of that for you. There you are now, who says Paolo wasn't very hot-blooded? Also, in the background of that little snippet there, you've got Robbie Williams' Millennium, which was number one at the time. So don't tell don't tell anyone that I don't treat you to music as well as football. Very very much an education at the prawn sandwich here. So obviously, Paolo decides to push over the official, Paul Alcock, which sees Paolo get a uh, an 11-match ban and a £10,000 fine, which... Uh, to be honest with you, if he'd done that nowadays, I think it would be a hell of a lot worse. But at the time, it was a massive incident, and um, he got very much made an example of. Sheffield Wednesday really didn't want much to do with him after that. But um, after, obviously, his 11-game ban and taking a further extended period of time away from the game, in January of 1999, West Ham manager Harry Redknapp took a massive gamble on Paolo and he decided to bring him back to England and he signed him from Sheffield Wednesday for a fee of £1.5 million and within his very first four games of playing for West Ham United Paolo returned the favour to West Ham and he scored He scored in his fourth game against Blackburn Rovers and also that season he, he helped them to finish fifth in the league that year which was quite high for West Ham United and I think it, it got them a, a place in the 
the very prestigious Intertoto Cup. Cup. Now, going off from uh, the following season, in March of 2000, he scored what is to be considered one of the best goals in the Premier League. But for me, it is the best goal in Premier League history. I mean, you've got like David Beckham's goal from the halfway line. You've got Henry's amazing goal against Manchester United at Highbury. Burkham's goal against Newcastle at St James's Park. You've even got like later, like towards now, this type of era of football. And you've got Aguero, Aguero's winning goal against QPR to win the league and things like that. But for me, this goal is the greatest goal in Premier League history. And I'm not even going to go into it. I'm just going to give you the snippet and then let that video do the rest. Bowie, stopped by Earl. Michael Hughes can't clear the first time, nor the second time. Bent wide nicely by Mark Vivian Foet. Sinclair's cross over Cunningham. De Canio! Oh, I do yeah. not believe that! Uh, that is sensational! Even by his standards! Oh, take a bow, son. Take a bow. You are not going to see a better goal than this. Great ball from Foy. Even better ball from Sinclair. But that is just sensational. Outside of the right foot. He's off the ground when he both feet when he makes contact. Look at him. Up he goes. Oh, that is quite sensational. What a magnificent ball. A moment of striking perfection from Paolo Di Canio. Now, I'm not biased in any way, shape or form, but that is, for me, the greatest goal in Premier League history. Anyone that listens to that piece of commentary there from Martin Tyler and the controversial Andy Gray, it's just, you know it. Just listening to that segment there, you've got the picture in your head. You know what's happening. Fourway gets the ball. He knocks it out wide to Sinclair. Trevor Sinclair whips an absolute brilliant diag to the edge of the 18-yard box. No surprise there because Trevor Sinclair is class. Paolo's up in the air, scissor kick, comes off the outside of his right foot and it goes right past Neil Sullivan and it hits. It doesn't even hit the back of the net, it hits the side of the net and then it, it just nestles in the net beautifully. It just absolutely personifies everything about Paolo Di Canio as a football player. Just brilliant he, he just he leaps the legs perfectly timing and oh honestly it's like he's walking on water beautiful what a goal that is um but like i say it's all based on opinion and that's my opinion but what a brilliant goal um obviously that season worked out rather well for paulo i think he even knocked out manchester united in the fa cup with that uh goal that bartes didn't really try for um and obviously the following season from that season, um, Paolo Di Canio turned down the opportunity to sign for Sir Alex Ferguson's all-conquering Manchester United. He decided to stay with West Ham and fight for another season. Um, the squad wasn't at the, wasn't very strong at that point. All the big hitters had gone. Ferdinand had gone, Lampard had gone, Defoe had gone. And they were only really left with Joe Cole. Um, and Paolo decided to stay and fight for... West Ham United's Premier League status and after a fallout with the manager Glenn Roder um, he didn't really feature much that season until um, unfortunately Glenn Roder was diagnosed with a brain tumour and he couldn't manage and fill his duties as the West Ham United manager so the 
opportunity went to the one and only Sir Trevor Brookin and his very first decision was he got the entire squad together and he said look lads I'm going to bring back Paolo and for three months of that season which nobody ever seems to really think about Paolo Di Canio was working out personally in his own garden just small shuttle runs here and there in his back garden for three months just staying fit because he knew that the opportunity would come back to him again Trevor Brookin gave him that opportunity and unfortunately it didn't work out for West Ham that season and they went down and they were relegated and of course it part of this videos of Paolo crying his heart out because West Ham United had been relegated because the club that gave him his second chance in football and it meant everything to him and he does love that football club and West Ham United fans love him back rightly so um, so obviously after that season had finished there was nowhere that that he could really go. The the Manchester United thing had died off. Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't interested. Um, one one chance saloon really that year for him to go to Manchester United, and fair dues to him for turning it down. You know, staying to the cause of West Ham United because believe me, it wouldn't have been me. I'd have went to Manchester United in a heartbeat. Um, so obviously the following season he signed for Charlton. Nothing really notable in his Charlton career. I think he got a couple of goals. I mean, there's the penalty against Arsenal, which is quite a good one where he sends Lehman for, for toast, you know what I mean? For toast. Sends him for milk, sorry. Beg your pardon there. Um, yeah, that's all it really got back in England. And then, of course, he left Charlton and he went and signed for his beloved Lazio. And, of course, he got another goal in a Rome derby. He got another winning goal in the Rome derby. And, things like that and obviously it's well documented his actions after the game but we won't go into things like that um and then he obviously retired due to not i think it didn't don't think he retired on his own accord he retired due to something to do with his fitness i'm almost certain that he knew like he his body wasn't his body was starting to fail him and i think it was i think it was a doctor or someone like that that told him you can't play anymore you're better off just retiring and i think he did but he, at the end of the day you look at pictures of paulo de canio now he keeps himself in in perfect shape he's an absolute dish um i mean he obviously he went into management he managed swindon was rather successful with them bit of a fallout left he obviously came to my beloved Sunderland and done rather well. Beat Newcastle 3-0, so he's always going to be a legend for that. Um, ended up being a bit sour and left there. And no one's really going to touch him now for the things that he's done in management and things like that. But there's a lot of people that say that there is a manager in there. He just needs to cool everything down by like 60% and then he could be a good manager. But the less said about that, the better really. He'll always be a, a massive part of my thoughts when it comes to football I love his philosophy on football and things like that and his ideas and things like that he's brilliant I mean I could go on about Paolo Di Canio all day but there just isn't enough time but I am happy that I've chosen Paolo to be the number one for the Scoops' life stories and um, hopefully we'll keep it going um, like I say if you let me know if there's any footballers that you want me to do my research on or even if you want to come on the podcast if you want to come on the podcast and talk about a footballer that is close to your heart and we'll break everything down and we'll go we'll do their life story as well i'm more than prepared to do that instead of going about the week the week's football and things like that i'm more than prepared to do that uh, but yeah that's it for scoops life stories and um paulo de canio if you're listening mate thank you very much and uh, we salute you at the prawn sandwich
So there you have it. Uh, that's episode one of the Scoops' life stories. And also, it's episode five of the Prawn Sandwich podcast. What do you reckon of that? Do you like it? If not, let me know. If you do, please get in touch. Whether it's good or bad, I'm not fussed. Please just get in touch on with our Snap, uh, not Snapchat, our Twitter Twitter account, Prawn uh, Prawn Podcast with two capital P's. I don't know what's going on. I'm forgetting myself here. Um, but by all means, get in touch and let me know. Good, bad, whatever. I'm not fussed. Let me know. I can only get better with your input as well. Um, episode 6 next week we are still looking for a guest if you are interested in coming on the Prawn Sandwich podcast please let me know due to recent events in football I have decided to go with Manchester United fans any form of Manchester United fan who wants to come on the Prawn Sandwich podcast please get in touch with me so we can talk things all Manchester United and things like that we'll get onto that later on um But apart from that, thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Nathan Scoops Cupid, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.